Welcome to Irreligious. I'm your host, Cody Seller. Today's episode, Salman Rushdie, the Ayatollah Khomeini. Valentine's Day, 1989. In London and around the West, couples ate chocolates and pressed rose petals under their nostrils while children dropped heart-shaped cards into brown paper bags taped to their desks. And Salman Rushdie's phone rang, signaling a long end to peace. On the other end was a reporter from the BBC. How does it feel to know you have just been sentenced to death by Ayatollah Khomeini, she said. Now Salman Rushdie's first novel had come into the world and left without making much sound, but his second won the Booker Prize, and his third, shortlisted for the same honour, announced his residency amongst the literary elite. In September 1988, Rushdie published The Satanic Verses, which soon would burn at the end of long sticks held by outraged Muslims in the streets of West Yorkshire and elsewhere. Rushdie was born in Bombay to a Muslim Kashmiri family, two months before India gained her independence in 1947. His grandfather prostrated himself to Mecca the obligatory five times each day, but didn't punish young Salman when he questioned the existence of God. Instead, they sat together and they talked. Rushdie grew up in the cacophony of markets and the smell of dung, both bovine and human, speaking mostly Urdu until he was 13 when he left for school in London. But the mysticism of India had impressed itself irreversibly on Rushdie, if not explicitly, since he would become an atheist, then into his expression of thought. His novels weave magic into reality and test how much imagination can fit into a human story. In the satanic verses, after terrorists blow up a London-bound plane mid-flight, Gibriel, a Bollywood actor, but also clearly an analogue of the Archangel Gabriel, has a vision. In it, Mahound, who plays the role of Muhammad, begins a monotheistic religion in a pagan city. The religion is called Submission, which is the translation of the word Islam. Mahound climbs a mountain, and Gibriel, now an actual angel, tells him three pagan goddesses of the city are the daughters of Allah. Mahound publicly accepts their divinity, only to discover it was not the archangel Gibriel who told him, but instead Shaitan, or Satan. The devil. These were the satanic verses. This revision of the early days of Islam infuriated Ayatollah Khomeini of Iran. He called it blasphemy and issued a fatwa. A fatwa is a ruling of Islamic law. It began, in the name of God, and continued, I am informing all brave Muslims of the world that the author of the satanic verses, a text written, edited, and published against Islam, the prophet of Islam, and the Quran, along with all the editors and publishers aware of its contents, are condemned to death. I call on all valiant Muslims, wherever they may be in the world, to kill them without delay, so that no one will dare insult the sacred beliefs of Muslims henceforth. He goes on to promise martyrdom to any who died trying to kill Rushdie or those connected to his book, and it ends with an imitation of good-heartedness. May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. In less than two weeks, in England, Pakistan, and India, Muslims stormed the streets, burned effigies of Rushdie, and burned his book. In South Bombay, a mob pushed against police who had barricaded the street to protect the British diplomatic mission. Police swung their batons at waves of screaming people. Someone in the crowd fired a gun at police. Here, and in Kashmir and Pakistan too, riots erupted. 
Rioters lit cars, buses, motorcycles, a police station on fire. When all settled, twelve died in Bombay, six in Pakistan, one in Kashmir, and hundreds were injured. Rushdie had a memorial service to go to the morning of the fatwa. His close friend had died of AIDS, and the service was being held at St. Sophia's Cathedral, a Greek Orthodox church whose interior was relentlessly ornate, with golds, blues, reds, and angels bowing over you on every arch. One journalist tried to speak with Rushdie during the service, but was angrily shoved off. Afterward, Rushdie exited the church into a torrent of journalists pushing and shouting questions, and photographers climbing wherever they could find a better shot. And it hadn't calmed things that when Rushdie made an appearance on a talk show earlier that morning, which he had booked before the fatwa was pronounced, he said, I wish I'd written a more critical book. Rushdie vanished into a car outside the church. From then on, he was a different man. His freedom to move about as he pleased was wrenched from him because he dared to rewrite myth. February 1st, 1979. Ayatollah Khomeini returned to Iran from his exile in France. A million or so supporters celebrated in the streets of Tehran. The Shah had fled, and soon the military would declare its neutrality, effectively beheading the monarchy established by Cyrus the Great, founder of the first Persian Empire two and a half thousand years earlier. Khomeini won a referendum and immediately declared an Islamic Republic. Before the revolution, women wore form-fitting jeans and short skirts and dresses with bright floral patterns. They wore two-piece swimsuits at the beach. Some let their hair flow down their backs, and others wore bobs with large sunglasses like Jackie Onassis. They enrolled at universities and, if they chose, explored the world. Women were, at least to some extent, free, and Islamic nationalists were disgusted. When the Ayatollah and his assembly of misogynists took power, they stripped women of freedoms won just a few years earlier. Bands of enforcers patrolled the streets to impose Islamic codes of dress and behavior on citizens of Iran. Women were made to wear headscarves and long black cloaks regardless of their religion, and they were forbidden to bathe wearing swimsuits in public. If convicted of adultery, they would be buried to the neck and pelted with stones until dead. And Ayatollah Khomeini said to his people, May peace and blessings of Allah be upon you. August 3rd, 1989 A bomb blasted two floors of the Beverly House Hotel in London. The bomber hid it inside a book, and when he tried to prime it, it detonated in his hands. He killed only himself, but secured his place as the first martyr to die, as his Tehran memorial is inscribed, on a mission to kill the apostate, Salman Rushdie. Over the next few years, the violence continued. Ettore Capriolo, Italian translator of the Satanic Verses, was stabbed in his Milan apartment, but survived. Norwegian publisher William Nygaard was shot three times from behind outside his home in Oslo, but survived. Hitoshi Igarashi, who translated the book into Japanese, was knifed outside his office and died there on the ground. Joseph Anton paced around his house, fully aware of the deaths tied inextricably to the satanic verses and surrounded by officers from Scotland Yard. Joseph Anton is the man Salman Rushdie became in hiding. It was less dangerous to use a pseudonym. When he wrote about this time later on, he wrote in third person, as though Anton were a different man. For weeks he refused to eat but drank too much and wore the same green tracksuit every day. 
he got fat. He heard writers, critics, and politicians call him out. Former U.S. President Jimmy Carter accused him of knowingly stirring trouble. Roald Dahl called him a dangerous opportunist, and fellow writers John Berger and John Lacare chafed at the continuing publication of the Satanic Verses. Though at times someone, like Rushdie's friend Christopher Hitchens, would point out who had written a book of fiction and who had called for murder. In 1998, after nearly ten years since the fatwa forced Rushdie into hiding, Ayatollah Khomeini committed his most gracious act and died. Iran distanced themselves from the fatwa. Joseph Anton faded into the page, and Salman Rushdie existed once more. But a Salman Rushdie profoundly changed. He no longer buffeted his disbelief with apologies, as he tried once or twice in the earlier days of the fatwa, but instead he wrote freely about his atheism. Poison courses the veins, sickens you, and steals life, so when Rushdie now described religion as a poison, he wrote the truth thrusted upon him. Believe what you will, be offended at what you will, even hate what you will, but never tolerate violence or those who threaten others with it to silence them. Voltaire said, those who can make you believe absurdities can make you commit atrocities. Ayatollah Khomeini made many believe he spoke for a god. Rushdie wrote fiction and always said that it was. It was.